right team, let's give a big round of applause for Calvin and Hannah from Countspin Media. Wow. <laughs> what an amazing crowd. Um, it's been such a stormy day and it's amazing we even got here. The wind was blowing us all around, but you guys have just blown us away again. Thank you all for coming. Thank you all in the back room over in the cafe. It's amazing. You guys look beautiful and give yourselves all a massive round of applause. As I said, you know, as you all know, it was stormy. We are not directly in um, Palmerston North, so I don't know where you've all come from, but I do know that there's a few people here. Well, let's just get a show of hands. Okay, who has come from Palmerston North? Okay, who's come from Building? Is there anyone here from Taupo? Because apparently there's people, or Tauranga, or Wellington. Sanson. Shannon? There's a Shannon? Yeah, okay. What other areas have I forgotten? Masterton? Okay. Well, it's... <laughs> well, I don't know where all those places are, but I'm getting to know this beautiful country, and uh, it's just amazing to see how many of you are turning up to these events. Every single place that we're going to is packed out. Uh, we had no idea what, what the numbers were like in this community, but you guys have just blown us away. So, And we also want to um, just let you know a little bit about um, the tour, what it's all about. Who went to Wellington? Awesome. Amazing. And of course, Wellington was such a fantastic experience in terms of um, the humanity and, you know, how, how we all came together and how we all looked after each other in the matter of, you know, a matter of a few weeks. But then, of course, the devastation and the destruction and, and the police brutality and all the politicians just ignoring us. And that was really sad. And, um, really depressing actually for a lot of people and, and really traumatic. There's still a lot of trauma out there that, you know, so many were arrested and bullied and harassed and people are still trying to recover from that. Not to mention all the COVID casualty stories that we're hearing, the carnage that is out there, the loss of jobs, the adverse reactions, um, the deaths. How many of you here know uh, somebody who has experienced an adverse reaction to the jab? Okay, just keep your hands up. We just want to get that on, on camera. And I can't even see all of you in the cafe, but hopefully there's somebody filming in the cafe and you've all got your hands up. Now, who who themselves, you don't have to put your hand up, but who yourself has experienced an adverse reaction? Okay, we've got a very brave couple of people here. Um, and who has, um, who knows anybody who has died of the jab? Yeah. Okay, and we'll keep the camera on the crowd because the last question is, who knows somebody that has died of COVID? Okay, there's one hand there. Of COVID or with COVID? Do we know? With COVID? With, yeah. Okay. All right, well, that's just, uh, we're, we're doing these polls now everywhere we go and it's always, obviously, the, the effects of the jab is outweighing the effects of COVID itself. Um, who's been mandated out of a job? Gosh. So, so hopefully you've all been over to the cafe and you've um, filled out the book because we and we've got bunting where you can write your story because we want to show the mass carnage out there. And um, you guys are all getting counted. I've had a, a, 
a super busy time in the bus. So I just want to thank Megan for all her um, organising. She's done a fantastic job. Not only did she have a whole schedule of all of the people who wanted to share their stories, but she's um, helped organise this event and the speakers and this amazing venue. So beautiful that um, a, there was a business out there that didn't discriminate and actually made themselves available for all of you. Uh, so they've done a phenomenal job. So um, thank you, Sarah, and um, for this amazing place that you and your mother and everybody is creating. So yeah, let's not forget Wellington, let's not forget all the adverse reactions and all the deaths um, Linda Wharton from the Health Forum New Zealand has um, graciously given us with permission of all the people on them, these boards to take around, um, and if you haven't already checked the, them out, um, please do when we've finished, because it's, yeah, like I say, we've, we're already seeing the carnage and we're not even talking to everybody, so um, it's really a thing, and now of course mainstream media is trying to say that it's COVID-19 uh, that is creating long-term myocarditis and pericarditis. <laughs> yeah, long COVID. Um, and of course, what else? We've got obviously the budget that came out yesterday and they're talking about the climate change budget and all this. And um, they kind of seem to forget about the whole carnage of the last two years and actually caring about the people. But of course, they like to call it a wellbeing budget. Um, and of course, we know that there's so much... Uh, mental health out there at the moment and people are really, really suffering and the suicides are now called accidental deaths so that's how they're getting around their statistics I'm trying to say that the suicides haven't gone up so, um, but most importantly, this tour is about let's not forget the truth, courage and freedom that all of you are creating in your communities. Because as you come to know the truth and you, you grow in your courage, which is what we've, we're experiencing with everyone that comes up and speaks, they're getting more courageous, all of you that share your stories um, in the bus, you know, that's what's going to create the freedom. And in all of our communities, you guys have got the answers. And we all kind of look to Wellington, or we always like to look outside. What is there? What are the solutions? But it's all in here, because we've all got our part to play. So um, before I go too far down that track, I will hand over to Calvin. The wolf. Also, let's not forget, you've got a democidal regime sitting in Parliament that's actually Parasite Palace and need a fumigation that's hell-bent on trying to kill you. I keep saying it and I'll say it again. Parliament is a crime scene that needs to be cordoned off, records preserved and used in upcoming trials because they are all guilty of this. Tapuhana Matatini, is that how to pronounce it? No, I don't really give a shit what they're called. <laughs> the disinformation project. They get millions of dollars to spin the bullshit that the carnage isn't happening. And now, you've probably all heard, monkeypox is on its way. <laughs> it's already breached the US borders. They've already started with exactly the same they did with this bullshit COVID-19. And I'll say it once, I'll say it again. COVID-19 does not exist. It is a brand name. It has never been isolated. It was a, based on a faulty PCR test. It was not fit for purpose. Cycled out to, 30, out to 40 cycles. It picks up anything, dead RNA. They then put it through a computer, and you get a computer virus. That's what they modelled it on. It does not exist. And anyone who says that it does, prove me wrong. You can't. I've put in 120 Official Information Act requests, and everyone states it's bullshit. You can't deny that. 
and I'm still waiting for someone to call us out on that. You know this disinformation project that you've never come at us with any facts and evidence to prove we're wrong, ever. That's got to tell you something. They will have you believe with their bullshit polls that none of this, the polls we take for real people, people you can actually see, that you don't exist. None of this is real. It's all in your head. And if you stand up against it, what are you? You're white supremacists, you've, you've got imported ideology, and um, a river of filth, conspiracy theorists, the, the lot. Tinfoil hat wear. Exactly right. And that's the problem. But the problem they have is you. You see, you're reconnecting again. You're talking to your neighbours instead of being driven apart. Yep. No one has to tell you to go to your research, because I'm sick to death of hearing that. The research is done. You just have to read it. And even their own stats don't look good. The Calm website itself makes sobering reading. Now, they can massage statistics all day long. The one thing they cannot do is fudge excess mortality rates. And if you talk to, as we will be shortly, the funeral directors who are telling us deaths are up 15%, especially in young people, there is something seriously amiss here. Now, all the police and military that have spoken to us after the shows, because some turn up, I think they get sent in to spy, but then they get red-pilled, and then they start asking questions, which is something good. Be the heroes people need you to be. There is crimes being committed against everyone, and I'm looking at the camera so I can get to you. Crimes are being committed. You need to start charging some prick, or a bunch of them, because they're all guilty as hell. The evidence is clear. So do your damn job and look after the people you swore an oath to look after and not act like policy enforcement officers to try and get the old fair currency going. So usually I'll just go on a massive rant, but I want to hear these speakers. <laughs> because these, 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 this tour is about you. We want to hear from you. We want people out there to see that they're not alone. They're just like you, and they are real people with real stories of real hurt and real emotional harm. And as Hannah alluded to, the so-called accidental deaths, people are checking out early, especially children. Now, where most people draw the line is when they come for the kids, and they've come for the kids in earnest now, and it's time to draw that line in the sand and say, this you will not cross. So let's get on with the show, and um, we'll uh, speak again later. Cheers. So... Um I'd just like to welcome our lovely MC, Emily. She's been helping us behind the scenes. She's done a fantastic job. She's also from Napier, where she emceed for us down there. So welcome, Emily. Hello, everyone. I was going to say, hi, I'm Emily, but Hannah sorted that. Well, before I start chattering, let's just have another round of applause for Hannah and Calvin. So awesome. <laughs> Well, a bit, of, a bit of housekeeping to start. Um, you all may have seen that there's a wonderful raffle happening over this side, and there are 20 items in the raffle, which is incredible. So how it's going to work is I'll say this is now last call for the raffle. Go get your tickets. And so we're going to draw four out between each speaker. And you, the first person who's drawn out gets to pick anything on the table, which is pretty cool. So last call on the raffle. <laughs> She's got it. She's got it. Oh, in fact, the raffle's sold out. In fact, the raffle is already sold out. 
Awesome, awesome. Okay, well, I'm going to invite our first speaker up, which is Jackie Wheeler, and she's going to talk about her local initiatives and also her experience being mandated out of a job. Hello, hello. It's lovely being here and seeing so many wonderful, familiar faces too, so I'm not so nervous now. That's really good. <laughs> so, my name is Jackie Wheeler and I'm a lactation consultant and it feels so good to say that because I haven't been out of work for six months. So I, every time I start a meeting I go to say I'm a lac, but I know no, I'm actually a, the leader of VFF, a coordinator in Palmerston North as well. So yes, so I am a, yeah, I'm a lactation consultant. Um, I used to work down in a medical centre in Hokefidu and um, in Palmerston North and with a wonderful group of people. I mean, I, I, the people I work with down there are fantastic doctors and nurses and staff, really supportive um, and no pressure from them at all, which is really good. Um, but on the 15th of November, actually we got the date wrong, we thought it was the 16th, so had an extra day up my sleeve there. Um, I had to leave my room and the room they'd built for me, the room that I'd spent um, many, many years in, and uh, my certificates on the wall, my kids' pictures on the walls, all my textbooks are sitting there, and I had to sign off on MedTech for the last time was really heartbreaking. You know, I sat there for quite a while in my room, logging off for the last time, and yeah, it was it was really heartbreaking to, to do that. Now, my background is, um, I've been, I'm a, a lactation consultant, by the way, helps mothers to breastfeed their babies, that's what I do. As you can imagine, it's not a job you do, well you might not imagine, but it's not a job you do for money, <laughs> it's a job you do for love, because I have a heart for mothers and babies and families and I want to help them to be able to breastfeed their, their babies. So it was, it was heartbreaking to have to leave. The other part that's really hard about my job is that I'm quite specialised in what I do, that there's not many of me around. There's, I, I, I am, there's not many lactation consultants around and two of us have left now because of mandates. But also, the, the sort I do, I'm a, I'm a tongue-tie specialist, so babies come to me, they get diagnosed in the community, come to us, well, came to us to get checked, and I'd go through all the various issues that you can have with breastfeeding, not just a tongue-tie, look at any other issues that are going on, which is a lactation consultant, that's the sort of thing I'd do, and then the doctor would come in and release the tongue-tie if it was a tongue-tie, and then I'd do the follow-up. Um, help, I'd control the bleeding and then um, get a baby on the breast or the bottle because it's bottle fed babies also struggle with feeding with a tongue tie and then I'd do follow up with the baby with the mothers and the, and the families and that was that was my job and I'm the only one of its kind for, who does, does that and so I lost I lost that but I wasn't the only one who lost the mothers and babies the families lost that too they are still doing the procedure down there but they haven't got an LC there to help them do all the support so they have there can be other things going on besides a tongue tie these you know that that's not happening which is heartbreaking that these mothers aren't getting the support they need so because my workplace is very supportive, they um, did apply for essential worker exemption for me. From but had to go to Chris Hipkins. So let, I can, you can guess what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, I'm replaceable. That was the words he used when he sent the letter back to me. I'm replaceable. Well, I'm not. Oh, well, I'm not replaceable. Um, and there's not many of me. There's you have to go to Hamilton to get the next sort of specialist in my field. So it's 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 really. Um, 
it's broken my heart to to leave my babies behind. And you know, I, I used to I did about between 20, 20 and thirty a week, so I saw a lot of babies. And I was going around town, I'd see my babies. And in fact, in the cafeteria over there, two of the well, two two of the staff over there, my my parents, I've looked after their babies, which is really lovely to see them. And I it really it does warm my heart to to see these wonderful. Um, mothers that have worked so hard to breastfeed their babies and it was really a privilege to be able to help them. So that was really awful um, and I hope one day we do get back in but I just, I just don't know. Um, but the other part that I've lost also is I'm, uh, I'm a La Leche League leader. I don't know if you know La Leche League, it's a breastfeeding organisation very much based on research and um, compassion, kindness. <laughs> And um, lots of, and it's it's how it's. I've been a leader with La Leche. I've been a member of La Leche League since ninety. Oh gosh, uh, since my son. Well, twenty six years it's been, twenty six years, and a leader for twenty two years. So I'd be supporting mothers in their breastfeeding journey, similar as a lactation consultant, but a more of a community level, so voluntary thing. But I did many, many, many hours of that a week, and I was also on the professional body for La Leche League New Zealand as well, and I'm on the email. Uh, People from all over New Zealand sent email uh, questions, and I uh, still do that, actually. still do that part. But very early on, before anything else mandated, La Leche League mandated. So I got my very first email I got for about all, these, all this stuff going on was from La Leche League, mandating me out of being a leader, unless I got a jab. But worst of all, and the worst of all thing, is they also mandated any mother coming in for help. So any mother that wanted breastfeeding help had to get a jab. Pregnant or breastfeeding newborn babies or older children. And I just couldn't cope with that. It's pretty pretty horrific. I just, um, yeah. But it, it, it breaks my heart even more that, that way because La Leisha League has been the foundation of my parenting. I've, um, La Leisha League is about attachment parenting. It's about co-sleeping, not letting your babies cry and, and, and breastfeeding for a long time. I, I did all that with my babies and and it worked. they're lovely kids. So, <laughs> but I, it broke my heart that I that La Leisha League would do that. I used to joke that my blood runs green because I'm a I'm a La Leisha. It's our, our colour of our heart for La Leisha League is green. My, I'm, I'm a La Leisha League mum through and through. So to lose all that has been tremendously devastating. You know, I, I had great aspirations of my daughters becoming La Leisha League leaders as well. And that's not going to happen now. So I have to resign from La Leche League. And, um, and it's, it's just awful. I've also met a fantastic amount of people with La Leche. Um, La Leche, they were my tribe. And my tribe, we used to call them my tribe. We had a wonderful woman we used to um, get together. So it's, it's, been, it's been horrific what's happened with the, the stuff. I, 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 I am sad for all the... Mothers and babies that are or fathers, families that are missing out on on having the care that they need. Um, I still get lots of phone calls and stuff, and I do lots of Auntie Jackie visits. You know, just unpaid voluntary ones because you know you can't say no, can you? So, <laughs> but um, it is it has been pretty devastating for me to to lose that. Um, yeah. So that's um, yeah. I, I I miss. I also miss the collaboration between the midwives and the paediatricians and all, all the talk we used to have that that all that that was wonderful having that and spreading the word I spoke at many conferences for league and for other lactation consultants things I am um, spoke at 
seminars, I did Zoom things, all that stuff, all that professional uh, stuff left. The ironic thing is um, every five years I've got to requalify as LC and it happened when I was on the protest, oh, not the big protest, not the wonderfulest protest in the whole world, but the other one that we we came up to, we went from the square in Wellington up to Parliament and I'd sat my exam, I thought there's no way in the world I'm going to pass my exam, they're the hardest exams in the world. And I, I was in the protest, I looked down on my phone and an email had arrived and I thought, oh my goodness, I bet it's my results. And I opened them up and I'd passed. And I thought, wow. So not, the ironic thing is, not only can't, can't work, I'm now a re-qualified lactation consultant. <laughs> I thought about not opening it, then I thought, well, actually, if I don't open it, if, if I've failed, I'm in, I've got 40,000 people around me who'll give me hugs. That's okay. <laughs> so, but, you know, and so, yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's interesting being this. The one good thing about all this, though, I have to say, well, actually, there's lots of good things about this, not being able to work and being very involved in voluntary things for 30 years, is that me, and alongside with most of you, we have great skills in organising anything. Organising <laughs> protests and <laughs> and things. And so we have, we, we, we've put our skills to place, you know, cried for a week and then got on with it. You know, got on with it. There's things to do. There's there's people to see and there's um, um, people who need help. And we, and it's mobilising all that, those wonderful staff, people that are out there who were working and too busy to do things. Now we're all free to do this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you. That's actually a lovely side effect of, of being mandated. So, so that end, my other, my other life I have now is that um, I'm the VFF coordinator for Palmerston. We have many, many, many things on each week. We're a very busy group, not just our group, but all the other groups are in Palmerston. Palmerston is a very busy area for um, every, <laughs> protests and meetings. So how we run things, if, if, you, if you want to get in the email list, just join VFF and then join the Palmerston group and you'll get emails. Quite a lot from me, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's lots going on. <laughs> um, first um, thing we have, um, we have pop-up protests Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and various things. We have a prayer meeting on Tuesday mornings. We have a meeting, a social type meeting where we all gather around and agree with each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and that's on a Wednesday night. And then every, oops, every second Sunday, we have a meeting in a certain location that you'll find out if you RSV, we'll tell you where it is. And that's um, a basic, more slightly more formal meeting with speakers and what have you. And then and Megan, I'm sure, will be telling you about the, so the, the fielding meeting. So every Sunday there is a meeting on of some sort, either be Palmerston or fielding. So we, have I left anything out, guys? Oh, sorry, I did, yeah. And then Saturday mornings, so there's something on every single day, we have a, a protest or a stand in the square where there's a um, microphone um, there and you can, it's an open mic. Now, that's not all VFF, that's, that's, that's Mountain Freedom Hui. There's, there's, there's a lot of groups and a lot of wonderful active groups. The best thing I like about all the different groups in Palmerston North is that we all hold hands together. We're, we all get on. There is no bickering. We all like each other and, and we're all different and I love that. I love being part of a big community of people that... Um, and they, we all get on. We all have a, a, a we're a strived for change. So, it's a fantastic environment to be in, and I love I love it actually. I love it. So yeah, as I 
that's oh that's it from me. Um, but now um, we actually have got a midwife who's supposed to be coming to talk, but unfortunately her husband's got really unwell and her father too actually. So she sent me her her speech. She's gonna so I barely looked at it, so I'm gonna have to read it from the I'll just get my phone with you. As you can imagine, the midwives have suffered a lot. I'm in a group, a, a telegram group with the midwives, and I've seen the suffering that's gone on with the midwives. We've got a neonatal nurse in our group as well, another lactation consultant. We're all there together, and the stuff that the midwives have gone through has been awful, just awful. And I know these midwives quite well because I've worked with them quite a lot in the past. So this is from a midwife. Um, so, I'll just read it out. Sorry, as I say, I haven't read it properly. To, I'll read it just from here. Okay, hi. I have been a registered midwife for 17 years. I cannot work as a midwife without an annual practicing certificate, which to obtain requires me to have a COVID-19 jab. Now, just an aside, that's what was just recently done. They put it as a... As a onto the annual practicing certificate, they have to have a jab. Now, that's pretty rude. So even if they got them back, even if the if, uh, Ministry of Health let them back in, they'll have to have a jab every year anyway. So I'm also a mother and a wife. At the start of the pandemic, my husband and I were afraid of the unknowns of the virus. We read everything we could get our hands on. We quarantined our grocery order in the carport before bringing it inside. Remember, they said it can be caught from the surface of things. <laughs> the arrival of a vaccine didn't give us any relief because how can a vaccine possibly be made in less than a year? We looked up biotechnology one night in bed and decided that's not something that we wanted in our bodies. It was experimental. No thanks. So midwifery is my calling. My life coach asked me what, once what my soul loves. My soul loves helping mothers and babies and that's the same thing I can say. It's... it's when you're involved in, in midwifery and LC and, and neonatal nursing, or nursing probably actually, we um, we have a soul for mothers and babies. We have a heart for them. And we, we, we do this because we love it, not because we want the money. Well, there's no money in it anyway, actually. <laughs> um, and having, oh, sorry, I've missed a part. My soul loves helping mums and babies and having autonomy in my professional and personal lives. During midwifery training, the fundamental basis was informed choice and consent. Nursing, nurses will know this too. It was our job to provide women and their families with the information to assist them to make choices for their journey to a new baby. If they don't consent, it does not happen. And they, and they are free to make those choices without discrimination, coercion or exploitation. That's from the HDC Code of, Human, of Consumer Rights. During training, we learnt about the Cartwright inquiry into unethical cervical screening experiments carried out on women at Auckland Hospital. Women with precancerous cervical cells were put into a control group and a treatment group, and even when it became evident the treatment was successful and women in the control group were dying from cervical cancer, the experiment con continued. The Health and Disability Code of Consumer Rights was a direct result of the outcome of the Cartwright Inquiry. Not ever again should humans be subjected to experiment without their informed consent. Yes. They created a Health and Disability Commission whose job it, is, it was to investigate breaches of the code. Health professionals were being held accountable and rightly so. In 2003, further protection for consumers of health and disability services was put in place with the Health Practitioners 
Competency Assurance Act. Consumers were protected by law from incompetent and unethical health and disability service delivery. In 2020, I was hugely relieved when Jacinda Ardern, our kind MP, said no one will be forced to take the new COVID vaccine. Yeah. So in 2021, when she announced mandated vaccines for health workers and teachers, it felt like I'd fallen down a rabbit hole into Alice in Wonderland and into a parallel world. The hole got deep. It's a very good explanation of how it feels for me too, actually. Yeah. If I'm an honest person, usually a rule follower, integrity is everything to me. Oh, sorry, I'm an honest person. Usually a rule follower, integrity is everything to me. How could I possibly continue to provide families with midwifery care, with informed choice and consent upheld as the gold standard, and be accountable to my responsibilities as a healthcare provider when my employer had effectively removed my own right to the same gold standard? The cost of being able to provide to continue providing health care with integrity and accountability meant I had to sacrifice that for myself. Cognitive dissonance isn't a strong enough word to, to explain how this felt. I was not going to be coerced and I was not going to be put something into my body that wasn't proven safe. What was even more horrific was that midwives were expected to recommend the COVID vaccine to pregnant women. Not only recommend, I have to say, not only recommend, I've heard of midwives forcing it on mothers and making, having big major to-dos if they don't have it. I was working at the time as a locum midwife. I was not the lead maternity carer for the woman I saw. I was being employed by the practice of midwives who needed respite. They showed me the information regarding the vaccine they gave to women. It was by the... Inf <laughs> I've seen the video, the, the Immunisation Advisory Committee, and a reckoned woman received the jab during pregnancy. I questioned one of the midwives about the possible risks of the jab, and she vehemently expressed that pregnant women were far more at risk of COVID than the vaccine. As an aside, I, saw, I was on a Zoom call with the Immunisation um, Advisory Committee um, for, and it was the most horrific thing I'd seen. It was full of lies, full of cherry-picking st um, studies that I knew about, and I thought, that's not, that's not what they said in that study, but they pulled out stuff, they pulled out graphs, half a graph, they did, it was incredible deceit, so what they did. Um, by this stage, I'd read all the information on the NZ MedSafe website about the Pfizer mRNA jab and the documents from Pfizer themselves. It was clear the jab had been, uh, been given provisional approval, and the, the, oh, sorry, only been given provisional approval, and that the New Zealand government was breaching the Medicines Act by rolling out the vaccine to the entire adult population. Sue Gray, of course, took them to court and won. Our government changed the Medicines Act overnight. Can you believe that? I just... I could, not only, I, I could not give only the IMAC, IMAC information to pregnant women who asked my advice on giving the jab. My profession expected me to... Oh, what does that mean? Oh, oh I'm not sure what that means. My expected me to... Oh, yeah, uh, my, I think she means my profession expected me to forget my accountability to the woman. I gave them the handout saying this is some information from this source, but I encourage you to consult multiple sources, including the MedSafe website. I knew that Pfizer's data sheet said that pregnant women would only, should only be given the jab if the benefits outweighed the risks. 
It also said they did not test the jab on pregnant or lactating women. A new, a new studies has come out actually, just showing how it does get in through breast milk. It does settle in the intestines of, of babies, and if you imagine, causing a lot of grief. That just came out last week actually, that study. It is not tested, then it's experimental. Health professionals have no right recommending experimental jab for pregnant women, but so few colleagues have the same opinion as me. Colleagues I respected for their knowledge and experience were completely convinced by the MOH narrative. The rabbit hole got deeper. The midwives who would not be jabbed to keep their jobs together and took the government to court with the help of Voices for Freedom. I put my big girl pants on and agreed to be the lead participant provided I was assured name suppression to protect my family. We argued that vaccine mandates were a breach of the Bill of Rights Act, which states we had the right to refuse medical treatment without persecution. We lost. Despair took place of hope. I put so much energy into the court case, so much hope. My kids didn't get tucked into bed by me for weeks on end, and because I was always in a webinar with VFF or the mandated midwives, the midwives collective. I believe the law that was put into place to protect us would do that. The mandate rolled round. On November the 15th at 11.59, I was no longer allowed to practice midwifery, nor step foot into the maternity unit. I received a termination of employment letter from the DHB. After the court case was lost, I didn't feel much straight away, just a numbness really and a crumbling away of hope and faith that New Zealand had a fair and just legal system. A few days later, it was something my husband said that triggered the expression of how devastating the loss was to me. I fell to my knees in the dining room floor and cried and cried and cried. My husband just held me. There was nothing he could do but just ease my grief. My children were there too, witnessing their mum broken on the floor. At first, not working seemed like a holiday, and I did jobs at home I'd not really had time for previously. I kept up to date with VFF webinars and a group of mandated midwives who were also not working. I racked my brain as to why the majority of our population had been convinced of the lie our government had been spouting for the last two plus years. Why did people not look up to the very available information for themselves? Why did they just believe what they were told? Where were the critical thinkers, the academics, the researchers, the microbiologists, the statisticians, the virologists, the vaccinologists, who knew the truth? I knew about mass formation psychosis. I learned about the gagging of those who provided evidence to the contrary of the agenda. I've learned who funds our medical schools in NZ, the World Health Organization, the Wuhan Institute of Technology. I wondered what about the brains of those who have, of us awake and difference from those who are not awake. Are we able to access part of our cognition they are, they are not? Or is it about sanity? Maybe those of us who are awake are prepared to question our sanity, to unpick whether or not what we've believed to be true is actually true. I felt like I'd been the edge of my sanity, questioned at times. Why would I choose a path that most people have not? I used to find comfort in doing the same with others, perhaps because then it must be the right thing, right? Maybe those who are asleep are too scared to question their thinking, their knowing and their sanity. What is it that sets us apart? Sometimes I wish I could be blissfully ignorant. Life would be easier. <laughs> Sometimes I wish that myself too. <laughs> At first I didn't miss midwifery all that much. The call-outs in the middle of the night, the births, the long hours. I focus on providing for our family by establishing a veggie garden and providing better nutrition than I could when working. 
I looked at the opportunities that, that not only working would provide, but I worried about the drop in income. How would we manage? We started thinking about home educating our children, which would have not, would not been possible if I was still working. When Ardern announced in January that all of New Zealand would be going to red light stage and school children over eight years must wear masks, we became homeschoolers. It became abominable to make our nine and ten-year-old children wear a mask all day at school. I knew what it was like to wear one for an eight-hour shift. I felt lethargic and headachey at the end of the day. I'd researched mask efficiency and the side effects. No way were our children, one of one who already found school very anxiety-inducing, going to have their faces cover up all day while learning. So we didn't, and our children and our, and our so so we didn't send our kids to school at the start of the term. I hadn't yet written exemption applications, decided the rules were so bullshit I had the right to keep my children home when they were safe from all the bullshit. We joined home education groups, groups made new friends and learned how to go about home educating. I didn't love the idea of having my children home 24-7 or whether I was up to the task of educating them, but they weren't wearing masks or going to a school where everyone else was wearing masks. It is now term two and I haven't buried the children in the backyard. <laughs> Though I did utilise school holiday programmes, which isn't our norm. I have learned how education is a one size it must be I think it isn't a one size fits all system and why that creates anxiety in my youngest child. Oh no, sorry, I have learned how education is a one-size-fits-all system and why that creates anxiety among this child. I have learned that my children likely learn more in an hour or two directed learning from me, plus the discovery they do on their own than they would at school. I am thankful for the opportunity to teach my children about their sibling relationship, how to resolve conflict. I am grateful for more time outside with the animals in the garden, and I am grateful for time to crochet. <laughs> But I'm not particularly happy or fulfilled. I'm doing what's best for our children, but it's not best for me. We struggle financially. I miss my calling. I miss doing what I'm good at, at helping other people. I'm not fulfilling my life's purpose by just caring for my own family. I need to contribute to humanity as a whole. For me to have complete self-worth. But the New Zealand Government, the Midwifery Council, the New Zealand College of Midwives have cast me and other like-minded midwives uh, aside as worthless with our COVID jab. The profession was in crisis before the mandates. Then we lost approximately 8 to 10% of the workforce. The Midwifery Council asked those of us who are not applying for APC and your practicing certificate this year to log on and tick the box to say we are non-practicing and pay the $50 fee to do so. <laughs> with the money we are not earning. <laughs> they went as far as to say, without an APC, we're not permitted to use our knowledge and skills for anything. That means they can't volunteer anywhere, they can't help with free birth, they can't do anything. We're not allowed to even call ourselves a midwife. Since when did they own the word midwife? I think what terrifies me is that the world I believe my children will grow up to no longer exists. My reality has become the classic novels I read at high school, the dystopian tales by mm, somebody, Aldous Huxley. Oh, Aldous Huxley, okay. George Orwell and Mar Margaret Atwood. There have been times I've thought the kindest way forward is to eliminate myself and my family from the world, to prevent my children from suffering what might be coming for them. But what if, but what if they contribute to the bringing down the agenda one day? 
If vaccine mandates of health workers are lifted, I do not think I could rush back to midwifery. It is no longer how it was. The colleges who compiled, who Oh, the colleagues who complied never reached out to those who didn't. We haven't. We have become the, un, the forgotten. How does one integrate, reintegrate into a group of people whose lives have remained relatively the same over the past 12 months? Have my principles really served me? They have allowed me to slow down and decide what I truly value. I want to help mums and babies so there will be a way, even if it looks different to before. Maybe it will be better than before. So I remain in limbo, not knowing what the future holds for my ability to work in a way my soul loves. If health mandates will be dropped, then I'll continue the study I became to become a, same as me, an IBCLC, a lactation consultant. If health mandates are never dropped, then I won't bust a gut trying to fit into the study into the house educating, health educating, food growing, child raising, animal tending that currently fills my days. If mandates are dropped, then my children would likely return to a regular school at some point in the future, in which case I need to direct their learning more specifically. If I can never again return as a health professional and home educate my children for the foreseeable future, then my education approach would be different. Limbo means I question myself daily on the decisions we have made and whether they will best serve my family. Some days I'm thankful my mind has been stretched beyond my previous perceivable reality. Then I look at the situation through multiple lenses, each with a different perspective, each potentially the truth, and definitely the truth to many. It is exhausting trying all the different lenses, swimming against the current. It is exhausting thinking about whether choosing to swim against current is the right thing to do. A good friend once said to me, Kelly, you just can't know the ending of the book before you start reading it. She was right. But I was one of those kids who read a pick-a-path book several times, so if the first path chosen had an ending I didn't like, I'd go back and choose the other. <laughs> I guess you could say having my professional ta profession taken away from me has caused an identity crisis, an existential crisis. I worry about how my children will come through all of this. I worry about where to next. But my soul loves being outside tending my garden animals and it also loves crocheting while listening to audiobooks. It helps it love it loves helping people, so I'll find new ways to do that. Thank you. That's cool. So she says so much of how I feel as well. You know, we, we, we are soul-driven, us, us LCs, us midwives, we, we are soul-driven with our babies and mothers, and it's just it's devastating, and she, she said it so, so well. So thank you. Thank you for, thank you for sharing Kelly's story as well. That was... Beautiful. Okay, so what we're going to do now is draw the first four raffle tickets. So if anyone in the cafe is listening and their raffle ticket gets drawn, just run down and wave your arms around and make sure you, you've got two seconds to get in the door. Yeah, something like that. Pardon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's okay. a few colours right, in Right, now I'm going to invite Helen Costa up from the New Zealand Defence Force to talk about her experience. Yeah. 
Hello everyone, um, Helen Costa. Um, I've been an employee of the New Zealand Defence Force since 2016 and worked there since 2013, where I was domiciled in Whanuapai. Thank you. Is that better? Okay. Um, in 2019, I volunteered as a civilian to come and work in Ohakia as I was trying to manage uh, the contracts for the rotary fleets out of Ohakia from Whanuapai, and it wasn't working successfully. Um, the Defence Force accepted my offer in 16 hours, which is the quickest I've ever seen them agree to anything, and assisted with my move here to uh, Rangitiki Manawatu. Uh, that was in January 2020. I knew no one. The Defence Force was my family, I guess. Um, and I also did it on the condition that my son is able to fly home every second weekend and see his dad, fly into Whanuapai, jump off the plane, get in the car with dad and have the weekend with dad. So, you know, there's all the good normal family things happening. Um, of course, in March, April, we went into the first lockdown and it was a very, very isolating time. Uh, nobody from the Defence Force reached out to me because I was still actually engaged with a group in Auckland as opposed to anyone. Really? Okay. Is that better? Okay. Um, so, as I was saying, March 2020, we went into lockdown and it was a very isolating time. It was just me and my son. We didn't know anyone and uh, nobody from the Defence Force reached out to us to ask how we were doing or provide any support. Um, Immediately when that happened, my alarm bells rang. Now, pre prior to joining the Defence Force, I qualified with a Bachelor of Health Science and Natural Medicine and did 14 months of medical research, writing medical papers for a subsidiary of Douglas Pharmaceuticals. So I can read um, medical papers fairly well and discern bullshit from, yes. from the real thing. But straight away my alarm bells went up and I just went back to Virology 101 and listening to what the media was saying, doublespeak, thinking, this is just basic virology and what they're telling us just doesn't ring true or correct. So, of course, so I started researching when I could in between trying to work and in between homeschooling my 11-year-old son at the time. Anyway, time marched on. Um, we went back to work and I was able to say that this is all not true and my colleagues were quite keen on wearing masks and I was saying don't do that, you know, there's no need to do it, there's no science that supports it, the science isn't in favour of it, but of course they were, you know, you see a barrier, you assume that it's doing some good. Um, so I was very much from the outset against this, um, against what was happening. I knew that the narrative was not true. It couldn't be true. It didn't make sense. The pieces of the puzzle did not fit together. Um, in probably about June, July 21, I was told by my boss that if I was required to wear a mask at work all day long, that would be a reasonable request because if I didn't, I was putting my vaccinated peers, unvaccinated children at risk. It's like, well, that's an interesting way to look at things. Um, and of course, um, I promptly said that I would refuse to wear a mask and I would not expect any of my colleagues to wear a mask eight hours a day inside the office.
Um, this, of course, went to HR, and I was told that if I refused to take any reasonable order, I would be um, given written notice, uh, given a notice, a warning. Um, and then, so that brought into question, well, I don't regard that as reasonable. Is that a reasonable request? And I'd say, no, it's not. In anyone's right mind, it is not a reasonable request. Um, I ended up being under considerable stress. I got shingles. Um, fortunately, only a very small patch, and I was able, with my training, to knock it on the head very quickly. Um, and I, I'm unsure if I got that simply from stress or a combination of being around vaccinated personnel, certainly enlisted staff. Um, and I was very astonished at the lack of people that were willing to push back, that I knew didn't really want to be vaccinated or had their first one but didn't want their second, but they were just going to do it because they've either got children to feed or a mortgage to pay, you know, all those commitments. And fear, fear motivating them to do something that didn't sit well with them or that they were unsure about. And the lack of um, consultation from senior staff to junior staff or with regard to us doing um, health and safety work assessments. There was absolutely none of that came across our desks. So we were completely in the dark in terms of how this was being evaluated from the Defence Forces um, perspective. Um, I ended up resigning and I uh, had an exit interview with HR and within four days of resigning I was um, offered my job back because it was quite clear it was constructive dismissal. I went on leave until January, and on January 31st, which was my birthday, I received my termination notice. Um, of course, that makes for a happy birthday, but I also have 13, now 13-year-old 13 son who was saying, well, what are we going to do? We're down here. We don't know anyone. We have no way of going home. I can't see Dad. How are we going to survive? You've got a mortgage to pay. And I had my 13-year-old's rationalising this or thinking it through and I had to assure him that the universe will look after us. So we kept going. As you know, um, we were very fortunate to be included in the Police and Defence Force case. Initially I knew nothing about it, but when we were offered the opportunity to put um, affidavits forward, I jumped in very quickly and put my affidavit in, explaining fairly much what I've explained to you people and the commitment I've made to the Defence Force. And all through this time, um, there was no support coming from my peers or or my senior command from within the Defence Force. Now, they would argue that I could have reached out to the likes of Vitae, which provide counselling, um, and they do have those services available. But for my colleagues that did, um, one was told she should just resign rather than try and fight it out and not get vaccinated. Um, there's been some very interesting things that have happened. Um, one more recently, a colleague has been invited to go back to work in Whanuapai. Um, he's predominantly to work from home, has to go on base for approximately 15% of his workday, but was told that he was not allowed to use the toilets. <laughs> so, and, you know, strong of conviction, he's pushed back. And it was a lot worse than that. That became the end state, and he pushed back, and it's been overridden. And I just don't seem to think that they realise that they're actually contravening the Employment Relations Act. Uh, they're 
contravening um, Human Rights Act, the Bill of Rights Act, and even the own Defence Force Act that states that we are to be treated with, with the care and respect that other employees, you know, from different industries would be treated under the ERA. I, on the 13th of April, so we went to court. As you know, we were very fortunate that we were successful. Um, there was a bit of this where the Prime Minister blamed the Chief of Defence Force and the police, uh, the Chief of Police and the Defence Force blamed the Prime Minister and no one's actually taken responsibility for why we were even mandated. Um, so there's been, we've been through a lawyer negotiating to try and return to work. I'm still not returned to work. Um, and on the 13th of April, we were given a draft directive for civilians stating that if we could not work, um, I, I hope I've got this right and the, there'll be you know nuances that I may not have correct, but basically the bottom line is if we couldn't work 100% from home as unvaccinated staff, or if our vaccines were not up to date, or if we were not boosted in the right time, and couldn't work 100% from home, um, we were not allowed on Defence Force property, they could put us on unpaid leave indefinitely, or dismiss us. So we had, I think it was 13 and a half days in which to respond then they were going to take six days to review the responses with an intent to bring the directive into force on the 12th of May. So it was a very very short consultation period. To Yesterday I wrote to my boss asking, have we heard anything? And I had the previous week before. We still don't know if this directive... Well, it's not in force, but we don't know what's going on. I am very relieved to say that uh, the PSA has put in a submission, who weren't, didn't appear initially to be supportive of those unvaccinated staff, but are now standing up. Um, some of their argument seems a little irrational. They're saying that um, given the low number of unvaccinated people, it, it is against our human right to deny us the right to work. And I'm kind of like, what does it have to do with the number of people who are vaccinated or not vaccinated? You know, blurred lines. And anyway, um, we're also very lucky that Matthew Haig, um, lawyer, has stood up to support us. Um, where I think many other lawyers that I've tried to contact and speak to have just not wanted to get involved. Um, and I also have to give thanks to the Returned Services Association that have stepped in to say that they will help assisting our legal challenge against the Defence Force and what they're doing. So, um, life rolls on. I do believe the universe will take care of us. Um, but I don't know where the trajectory of my life kind of goes from here. How do I get back home? Do I go home? Is there a call for me to stay here? Do I want to work for an association that feels that it's acceptable to coerce people to do something they don't want to do? So a huge number of questions. And, I, you know, up until this all happened, I was pretty happy to work for the Defence Force. Um, I just can't believe that so many people could have the wool pulled over their eyes and and not seek out the truth. So that's my story.
a few more raffle tickets now. We need some yellow. We need some yellow. Okay, so our next speaker is CEO. He's going to come up and speak to us about being mandated out of his job. Round of applause for CEO. Um, uh, to begin with, I just want to thank the Lord for the blessings that he bestowed upon us. And that's my prayer for everyone in, in, uh, that are here tonight and everyone in New Zealand to continue to have that blessing. Mm. And I think that's what defines what hope is for us to move forward. Okay. Oh, sorry, guys. I have to move a little bit closer. Can you hear me now? That's good. Now, uh, Malo Ilele, raise up your hand if you know what language is that. Yes, you? Samoan. Very close. <laughs> yep. Tongan. That's correct. Beautiful. Tongan is better than the Samoan, yes? Well, um, I think you all understand the reasons why we're here this afternoon. Uh, we're here for the same purpose, the same course. My name is Sio, Sio Saia Makahununiu. I'm from a little island in the Pacific. They call the Friendly Island. So if you've got time one day, when the border is open, make sure you go over there and it, the, the sun's always shining. And there's a lot of beaches over there. So. Um, Okay, where can I start? There's a lot of things on the list, but where can I start? Um, I used to work in the prison, and I was operating in the capacity of a principal correction officer, and I used to oversee a wing of about 136 prisoners with lots of staff in it. Um, I do realize that the time... Um, oh, before I started, I just want to thank... Um, those who were helping us during our hardship times, like the Freedom Fighters, and everyone in here that I cannot name, you know, put in names. Um, yeah, so that's another story in itself. I just want to thank everybody for, for, your, for all of your help. Uh, let's go back to the story. I, I work in the prison, um, and I remember the day that we were told that we're going to be mandated. So my wife was the one who was actually researching these things, and she told me about it. And then when I learned about it, I actually started to realize that there's something more to it. So after three months of, um, of looking into it, then I come to the conclusion that this is really, really bad, you know? Um, part of the discussion I told my, 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 the staff members, Look, I, I, I'm, I come to this country, but you guys, your forefathers fought in the World War II, you know, in Europe. For what? You know, they die because they can walk around. And now, you just give it with a smile, without even lifting your head. You said, there you go, take my rights away, you know? And then that's the starting of the conversation. There was a lot to it there. And it came to the 5th of November last year. Uh, that's when I got, the, I got the boot. And, you know, after 14 years of working in the prison. Um, if you, who, who is in here is familiar with the prison? No one? Oh, hey. 
Yeah. The oh, who knows what's another word they would use for the prison? Start with a V. Vacation. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, because um, uh, the the prison system is, is is in four categories. One is the maximum. It's in Auckland, high security, low medium, and then the minimum. Um, Manawatu is one of the high security, and it has a master of 298. Um, and it was, during our conversation, I wrote a full-page submission to our union, stating the reasons why I believe an unknown person, supported with all the researches that I can find, plus all the the, the, the legislation that you guys have heard has been mentioned before. I gave it to them and I say, um, these are the reasons why I believe that I shouldn't be taking this, whatever you call it. And the union came back and say, I can summarize it, but say, we lack the appetite to fight because we don't have a backbone, you know? And then after that, we discuss and and it, yeah, it's another long story, but to summarize it, at the end, I, I told my manager, my, my last two weeks, I utilize it to educate the staff, because I have my own little office. In the last two weeks, all the, most of the managers came to my office, tried to convince me to stay, but I used that time to educate them, you know? One of them was... Uh, <laughs> One of them was our health and safety manager. <laughs> I asked him, what's your job again? Help. I'm the health and safety. Okay. Have you actually looked at the ingredients of that? No. <laughs> do you know this, 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 and do you know the effects that it has? No. Do you know that Pfizer was, you know, have you looked at the legal side? Pfizer, not very truthful about their, their data? No. And I can tell, ask you, if I take the thing that you are proposing and I got injured or deliberately or, or get a debilitating injury or die, what have you as a manager got in writing to support me, this poor person? Never thought of that. Yeah? <laughs> so you, you, are, you don't know about it, but you want us to take it. And he'll take him a, a, a side where he looks, and then he, he, off he goes. And I told him, look, I, I have a family. I have seven kids. I didn't say that too loud, did I? I've got seven children. <laughs> I have a mortgage. The life of my family is critical to me and my life. And when I say, and, uh, and my job, is the thing that support us all, all these components, the family, the mortgage, feeding. And when I say to you, I chose my family rather than your job, that says a lot, you know? If I let that go, where can I, where, how can I pay my mortgage? How can I feed my family? And oh, okay, that's a bit new. Yeah, you should be thinking about that, you know? <laughs> But but this I thought, but I told him it come to a point that we just didn't go anywhere. Look, and I told him, look, you cannot put me in the corner, force me, and coerce me to make a choice between my health and whatever you're coming with, because you know what the answer is, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, on the fifth of 
5th of November, I did resign from the, from the prison. And 40 days later, our house burned down. So you can imagine, it's been a, um, a two big punches. I, I still feel pain from it from my back, you know? But one thing that we always have to understand, there is hope, you know? We can do it. And we have each other. If there's always something positive for us to look forward to. You know, you cannot, because uh, it's either that or I just curl up in a corner and cry, you know? But we can't. We know we have a, we have a family to look after. We've got a life to live. And we've got a people to reach out to. Um, and then, yeah, um, and, and we have been um, floating for about five months, moving from house to house. And eventually, um, last week, we found a house to rent, you know? After uh, homeowners for about 12 years, I've, I've, I forgot how brutal the rental market is, you know? It's worse than trying to apply for a, for a job. Uh, and now we, we have a house now that we go to, and, and now we, I'm still keep talking. Like, um, even I'm, I've, I've spoken to some of my staff, some of my colleagues at work, and I told them, look, if there is a deadly virus on the loose, like what the propaganda in, in the media is proposing, and if you need one, two jabs, or whatever jab you're taking, plus a booster to protect you, why am I still walking around? You know? Why? You, you, you tell me. It's, it's, it's either I'm in an absurd position or I'm telling the truth. One of us is lying, but we can't be telling the truth, you know? And then I think there was a lot of, of uh, very deep discussion that went on. And, and I think that's what we are today. You know, keep the hope up, keep the talking. There's one day you can get to someone by just talking. You know, just talk simple stuff like what we just discussed. And then I think, um, uh, yeah. Um, and lately I've, I've also found a job. So I've, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been two weeks into that job now. And you know, like I heard the, the lady from the army before you know, when I, when I thought about the prison now, the government job they're supposed to protect us, nah, you know? After 14 years, I, I, used to, I love my job because we deal with very difficult people, you know? Um, every time I drive to work in the morning, halfway through to, to the work, I'm already like, without you conscious about it, your body's already tuned up, ready, to, ready for battle. Because as you walk in, you know, the, um, the complaint, they have to sort out uh, issues with staff, you know, the unhappy prisoners complain about this and please explain this and explain it. It's just never ending. But uh, I think, but also I think that goes on behind the wires and it makes it worse with this vaccination that come in. And I just cannot believe or think of how could Jacinda sleep at night? You know, there's a lot of blood in her hand she will be answerable to the big fella. She will be, you know? Look at all the bad stuff that started when, when the COVID-19 started in 2020. Look at all the things that they were passing. It's just unthinkable. But, um, but just coming back to our discussion, I think that's just a little a summary of, of, of my journey.
and um, that I would like to share with you guys. Um, and uh, I just want to thank my wife as well. She's a very, very strong woman, very knowledgeable, and that's why she helped me, and I was able to see the light, yeah? <laughs> so, men, let's look after our, our, our women, because they're very, very important. And I think, um, um, just to come to a conclusion, I just want to thank everybody in here. Um, never ever think for once that you are in a losing position. You are in a very strong position. You stand your ground, you stand for something. That's what life is all about. If you don't stand for something, you just fall for anything. And then I think, when you leave tonight, you know, uh, yeah, just stay positive and, you know, if you have a time, just say your karakia, for there's someone out there who's looking down on you. And, um, yeah, uh, to conclude, I just want to thank everyone, and I hope that you enjoy your, your time. And, yeah, never give up hope. Malo. That's a bit high. I might just go tippy toes. How's that? <laughs> now, I want to give a shout out to you guys. I want to shout out to everyone who's come out tonight. It's fantastic to see you all here and to people watching on the Facebook Live and say, we don't want to lose connections with you guys. We want you guys to stay connected to Counterspin. So please make sure that you go to the website, www.counterspinmedia.com, and go and sign up to the newsletter. That will keep you connected to what they're up to. But by the way, anyone who has an extra email account, they're getting blocked. Wow. Weird, eh? So we recommend Proton Mail. I guess I don't recommend Gmail, but that would be fine too. They're not getting blocked. But if you have an extra account and you've tried to sign up to um, the Counterspin newsletter, please try again. All right, I've been turning this. I've been turning this. It's definitely in a random order. Right. We have two speakers left. And then if you feel like it, we could invite Hannah and Calvin back up. I don't know. Do you want to see them again? <laughs> um, two more speakers before them. And so um, next I'm going to invite my friend Mel up. My friend Mel, she is the one-party representative for the Lower North Island. And so that includes Palmerston North, but we drove over from Hastings this afternoon. So very happy for us to be here. Thank you for having us. And this is yeah. now Mel to speak to you all. Thank you. I think I've got to bring this down because I'm short with heels on. Oh, kia ora koutou katoa. My name is Melanie Petroski, yeah, and I'm from the One Party. I don't know if you've heard of us. Um, we were in, we were new, we started, uh, Stephanie Harawira started, um, well, you may know the Harawira family, quite famous political family. Uh, she was in the Māori Party and uh, mana, and then she didn't like mana's um, view on Israel, so she started her new party, and we are a Christian party. So she prayed and she asked, what, you know, what, what name? And she felt the Lord say, 
one, because we're meant to be all one, right? Um, one nation under one God. But yes, unfortunately, we've been segregated. But um, she really wanted Alfred Nardo, actually, from the National Party to be the leader. Uh, I don't know if you remember, he was on TV. I think Jack Tame interviewed him and said, are you starting a new party? And he said, no, unfortunately, he didn't take up the opportunity. Um, yeah, but, you know, who believes the last election was rigged? <laughs> I certainly do, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, 50% for Labour, oh, gee whiz, you know. And I don't know if you're aware, but Labour and Greens, their percentage was 66.6. Uh, .6. <laughs> if that's not a demonic number, then what is? <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't know if anyone saw her acceptance speech, but it was very, um, it was at the Auckland Town Hall, and honestly, the lights, it was all red, obviously they're red, but just the way the lights were, it was like pentagram, man, I was like, oh my gosh, can it get much obvious? Um, I do believe that she worships Satan, because I mean, evil has got to come, like evil is just rife in the world, right? So... That evil has got to come from somewhere, and we, we are Bible believers, and it is almost like, well, it is. The, the Bible is actually unfolding before our eyes all over the world. Um, I didn't say this last time in Napier, but I don't know if anyone's heard of The Economist, the magazine. Um, if you looked at the 2019 cover, one of the covers, maybe December, they had all these little pictures, and one of them was uh, four horsemen. And in Revelation 6, it talks, everyone sort of heard about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So I believe this is totally planned, <laughs> totally manipulated by the higher echelon, um, let's call them the cabal. Um, you know, we've got, actually, The Economist magazine is actually owned by the Rothschilds, if you don't know, they're the, you know, central banking cabal, yeah, and, um, you know, you've got the Rockefellers, and, yeah, so, and the Gateses, and, yeah, so we're pretty much fighting a war, um, but, yeah, highly recommend reading the Bible, because it's just, like, coming alive, um, but I'm not really here, I guess, to speak on behalf of One Party, um, you can check us out, oneparty.net. Um, yes, we are Christians. So if there's any Christians, um, maybe see all. If you want to think about becoming a candidate, that'd be amazing. I know it's all rigged, and I'm, I just I just felt like this is a calling from the Lord to stand up for our rights. Um, in fact, we have four pillars, like similar to the three with counterspin, freedom, uh, righteousness, justice, and truth are our four pillars and uh, yeah, you can check it, check us out oneparty.net. Um, I might get in trouble with the party if I if I speak on their behalf because <laughs> last time I said Labour's just a uh, what is it a brood of vipers. You know Jesus calls the Pharisees who were the religious folk, and and they and the one party said, oh you can't say that. <laughs> I was like, well I just yeah. And I was like, yeah yeah. Yeah, they are a brood of vipers. And it's funny, you know, vipers, um, I don't know if anyone's uh, followed Dr. Artis. Yeah, and they found, you know, speaking of vipers, they've actually found, you know, snake venom in these shots. And um, 
obviously not all shots are the same. They're not all created equal. Um, I do believe in that Slovenian, I think she was Slovenian or Slovakian nurse, who came out and said, I've discovered three types of vax. Um, oh, it was a Polish. Might have been maybe a different year. Maybe there's two nurses who discovered uh, the first one's saline solution only, which is what obviously the politicians get. Um, the other one is messenger RNA only. Um, and the third one's obviously the kill shot, which has got the graphene oxide mm. and the, mm. you know, it's even got creepy crawlies in it. Um, Stu Peters is an awesome one to watch on BitChute and Rumble because he interviews lots of scientists and doctors and so forth who look right into these vaccines. Um, so that's that. I'll, I'll tell you my own personal story. Um, so, yeah, so after the last election, which I was very disappointed at, I actually decided to travel to Washington, D.C. in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, Auckland Airport was a ghost town, and it was very dystopian anyway. I didn't know about the voucher system for MIQ. I knew I had to go to MIQ. That was fine. That was planned. 3000 bucks, whatever. Um, but I came back just as they were, just after they, you know, made it compulsory for a voucher, and I didn't know uh, about the voucher system because there wasn't much advertising on TV or anything like that, radio, and so they brought it in compulsory on the 1st of November 2020, and I came, I was meant to come back on the 5th. Anyway... Yeah, Washington DC got right in the midst of BLM and um, very disappointed at their election result because uh, I had an invested interest in Trump <laughs> um, and I lost anyway. Um, so, hello, yep. It feels like I'm going to hit it anyway. Um, flew back through Dubai Emirates, I flew Emirates. Emirates didn't tell me about the voucher system, so they didn't give me, so when I went to uh, get my boarding pass, they said, oh, um, sorry, we can't give you your boarding pass. I was like, what, this is Dubai Airport. Because um, I, I booked, I think I booked for the 6th of November, 2020, and um, they said, oh, can you, can you, uh, fly, sorry, the 5th, and they said, no, you have to fly on the 6th. I said, okay, so are you going to shout me a hotel <laughs> for the night in Dubai Airport? And they said, no, and the hotel in Dubai costs like 400 bucks a night. So I was like, oh, okay. So um, I stayed there one night, so on the 6th I went down to the um, information desk and I said, can I please have my boarding pass? I'm flying today. And they said, uh, no. And I was like, what? So, in a nutshell, I was actually stuck in Dubai Airport for a week. And, yeah, there goes my MIQ money. And I looked on the, you know, the MIQ schedule or whatever, voucher system, and I couldn't get one until February. So I would have been stuck in Dubai for three months. But praise God, I, well, like a blessing in disguise, just before the March lockdown, I actually got assaulted by a mental health patient that I was looking after because I was in health as well. And so I was, I had post-concussion a little bit and with jet lag it was, 
yeah, I just used that as an excuse to apply for the emergency allocation, and I got it, praise God. But still, in that time of being stressed and not knowing what to do and where to go and everything, I uh, had to stay for about a week. And I thought, well, I won't stay in the, in the expensive hotel. I'll just stay in the terminal. And it, honestly, it was so dystopian. I felt like I was in, 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 in between movies of, like, the terminal, Hunger Games, you know, 1984. Like, it was really bizarre. And they were so strict on masks. Excuse me. And anyway, <clears throat> so I thought, oh, I'll stay inside the terminal. And they've got these little deck chairs which move about if somebody else is on the other side. And so I did. I stayed on this um, deck chair in the, in the Dubai terminal. Luckily, Dubai has a hotel, which is good, but still. And it was after then I actually felt sick. I think it was because of the mixture of stress and, and just being in this airport. I didn't even leave the airport because I didn't want to get tested on the way in. So I got my voucher... And I left. And I actually didn't mind wearing a mask inside the plane because I was symptomatic. I felt very achy, um, tired and headachy and stuff. But I didn't have the breathing problems. And I posted a few Facebook videos. Um, I did a little parody of, you know, no woman, no cry, no voucher, no, no fly. <laughs> um, so, you know, you got to keep yourself sane somehow. Um, yeah, it was weird. Anyway, I flew into Auckland, and of course, honestly, in a in a word, it was a military exercise. Eh? Like, I don't, has anyone done MIQ? Yeah, it's. What did you think? Like, do you think it was like a military kind of thing because you've got the army guys there? You, army notes, so yeah. yeah, and you've. Mm, yeah, well, they they were doing just. Oh, I'm just doing my job. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> Um, um, it just reminds me. Who's it? Do you know, does anyone know Lance Wallnow? Lance Wallnow is an amazing um, speaker, eh? Did you see one of his videos? He talks about Klaus Schwab, and he was like Klaus Schwab. Anyway, <laughs> I think Klaus Schwab's actually uh, probably a Nazi, you know, oh, son of one. Anyway, anyway. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so, you know, you're very, you can't escape, you know, the airport, you get on the bus and you go to your MIQ hotel and you put in this room and I actually um, escaped my room and I, because I wanted to know how full are these things, because, like, why do you need vouchers if they're, some rooms are empty? And, you know, I took videos of, because I thought, well, it's dinner time, they just leave a bag outside your door and I was thinking, well, all the doors that don't have dinner potentially are empty. So I took a little video. And there was quite a few that were, like, didn't have their dinner there, so I'm assuming they were empty. Uh, it was just horrendous, like, going in, checking in, long queue, um, guy in an army uniform. Yeah, it was a military exercise. I mean, for the most deadliest disease in the world, they had a, just an open waste paper basket for used masks, you know? It's like you do not even have a biochemical, uh, what is a bio weapon, but chemical bin, you know? And so, yes, I was tested positive on day 
three. Um, but I, you have to be really assertive with the health system these days because this woman, the nurse, wanted to, you know, shove that swab up my nose, and I said, no, 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 because apparently the swabs have got ethylene oxide on, on them. And, I, um, and, you know, they hit the brain um, blood barrier. And I said, OK, just test my throat. And so she did. But she pushed and pushed and pushed. She said about three times. I said, no, 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 because my nose had been bleeding slightly. Um, because of a different medication I was taking, but yeah, you know, that was the excuse that I used. I was positive, and I knew I was going to be positive uh, because of my symptoms, so I rang my doctor in Hastings. He wasn't my regular doctor, um, but I said, listen, I've just come back from America, and they were talking about hydroxychloroquine and zinc. I said, can you please prescribe me that? And he wasn't meant to tell me this, I found out later, but he said, no, I can't, or I'll lose my job. And I was like, well, if that isn't nefarious, what is? Um, so I was like, because he said, oh, do you want to take the risk with that? And, and he listed off all these uh, side effects with hydroxychloroquine. And I was like, yes, yes, I do want to take the risk. But he said, no, no, I'll lose my job. So I was like, oh, OK, whatever you're no help. And so I got a call from the doctor or whoever was there, and they said, you've got half an hour to pack up, get ready, we're shipping you off to Jet Park, yeah, MIQ uh, quarantine facility. And I was like, mate, give me at least an hour. Like, I'm aching, I can't move, I need a shower, I need to pack, you know, just... It, it was just really harsh. Like, they didn't have any empathy or compassion or anything. And so I convinced them to give me an hour. <laughs> and, yep, shipped off. I was really worried because there was another lady in the van with me all. Like, they dressed us all up in PPE. The gloves were making my hands sweat and it was gross wearing all this PPE stuff. Anyway, the lady behind me, I noticed she was alongside me in the plane. And because I was symptomatic, I thought, oh, my goodness, I hope I didn't give her anything. Um, and she told me in the van going to Jet Park, oh, I'm pregnant as well. I was like, please, Lord, don't let me, you know. And I, don't, I never saw her after that, you know. You don't talk to anyone in MIQ, really. Um, yeah, pretty much locked up in a room. It was pretty much jail. I don't, know, I don't know how you felt about it, but... Um, Oh, good one. Yeah, well, I went, yeah, I went on a Avengers movie marathon. So, yeah, that was my MIQ experience. But I did feel like I wanted to, to get some uh, fresh air. So I escaped, because you meant to have an escort. <laughs> and I didn't want an escort. I just wanted my own space outside, breathe some fresh air without a mask. So I actually escaped when I felt better. Um, yeah, they didn't even give me anything except paracetamol. You know, I escaped and I tucked myself in this corner outside and because you've got to wear wristbands. It was, like, it was honestly, it was like jail, worse than jail. And, um, and this guy came past. He was like, hey, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just out here getting some fresh air. And he goes, you're meant to be with somebody. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sorry. 
And he goes, come on. He sort of ushered me back. And I felt like a, um, a deer in headlights. I was like, oh, no. And I tried to get back in the building and go back into my room. But my card didn't work. And he, he ushered me back into my room. And then five minutes later, I get a knock on the door, knock, knock, knock. It was the hotel manager and two police, <laughs> police officers. And um, I was like, what? <laughs> and they said, you're not allowed out without an escort. And I, was like, oh. I was like, listen here, this is Nazism. I gave them what for because I felt better. And, um, you know, you just like, wake up, guy. And the police were like, hmm? And um, I was like, you guys have got to wake up. This is some nefarious agenda. Like, this is, this is war. Like, you, nobody goes into lockdown unless they're in war. Y yeah. And, yeah, anyway. So, anyway, nothing happened, and I left, and so I was working at the hospital uh, part-time, and so pretty much about a week after I got home, breathing some fresh air, felt alive and a human being again, I went back to work, and my, my job at the hospital was pretty much as a watch or a care associate, which is sitting right next to high-risk patients, like literally sitting right there next to them um, if they wanted to get out of bed and needed help or were um, a bit, you know, feisty. So I did that for about five weeks before... The, um, the agency that I worked for, I didn't work directly for the DHB, but I worked for an agency. Um, so remember, MIQ workers and water workers had to be vaxxed by the 31st of March, 2021. And so on that day, I actually got a text from my, well, manager, and says, who said, bring your uniform in, you're not going back to the hospital to work. I was like, what, you can't do this to me? Human rights, da da da. He goes, that's just the thing. And anyway, and I took them, I took legal action. I actually rang the boss and said, you can't do this. And he said, yes, we can. The hospital wants it. So pretty much my main message is we can fight. We can take legal action. I won. Um, and I actually had another health job who I got mandated, mandated out of as well. And I took them um, through the legal system as well, mediation. We can do it, you know, because um, the CEO was very condescending in his emails to me because I said, if I take this fax, I could die. I've suffered from shedding. I've got allergies. I believe there's aborted fetal cell in this fax. So there's religious exemptions here. Can you please at least ask for a medical exemption and do a risk assessment? He didn't do any of that. He said oh, well, you can believe anything you want. You can believe in the tooth fairy. You can believe in Santa Claus, whatever. I was like, right, I'm going to take you to mediation. And I did, and I won again. So, yeah, I won two legal cases. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very willing to help anyone who's going through uh, that kind of thing. Um, section, I don't know if you've heard of Section 83 on Facebook. They're very good. Liz, Liz Lambert and others are very good. Um, yeah, and so that's just pretty much my main message. But if all else fails <laughs> as a Christian, you know, it doesn't cost anything to close your eyes, put your hands together, bow your head and say, Lord, help us, because we pretty much do need, we need them every day anyway. But you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> higher. Let's go higher.
Yeah, you know, God is above Satan anyway. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Mel. That's great. All right, next four. I've got eight left, I think. Are there eight raffle tickets left? All right, now I'm going to invite... Um, actually, I've got one speaker before Megan, and then we're going to have Megan speaking, but we're going to have Guy jump up. What a guy. Where's that guy? Here comes Guy. Guy's going to come up and have a quick chat to you guys. Awesome. Thank you. You'll notice I've got my uh, vegan jacket on tonight. It's keeping me warm. The people in the other room can't see what I'm wearing. That's okay. <clears throat> I'm up from Wellington. I'm living in the Wairarapa. Normally, I'm the penultimate speaker, and I'm always the loudest, and the microphone always has to get turned down at the end of the night. Okay. So, uh, I have a message to anyone that's got a diesel vehicle, a diesel motor. Anybody here got a diesel motor? Okay. Now, I have been around the country, all around the North Island in the last month. I've done hundreds of kilometres in my beautiful red bus out there. I've been up to Marsden Point twice. And the reason being is because we have a very, very precious asset there that is getting destroyed right now. Now, there was a fellow at the New Plymouth meeting by the name of Tony talking about um, a road going through Mount Messenger, and he was so overcome with the terror that the Ministry of Transport had put him through, Waka Kotahi. They give it a different name, a Maori name. It makes it sound so much better. It's all the same shit, but with just a different nomenclature. That's all it is. Same thing. He was beside himself. It was sad to see. And not for a moment do I want any of you guys to think that I did not feel his pain, because I did. It's disgraceful what we are doing, our government is doing, to our people. It's bloody disgraceful, actually. Now, I am not for one moment making it anything smaller what that man was feeling. But for every ounce of emotion and trauma that man's been feeling, you guys should be feeling a hell of a lot more because we've got an asset that's worth thousands times that one there. I'm not having a go at Tony at all. I'll be up there staying in his encampment to save that place if he calls me to go up there. But we've got an asset that is so precious to us that it's mental for any of us not to know about it. And that's my simple thing for you tonight, the simple message. If you have a diesel vehicle, your vehicle is in serious trouble of being seriously damaged. Now, I'm going to give you two examples of what's happened in the past. One a personal lesson for me, and one a lesson for this country. About 25, 30 years ago, there was a thing that was put into Shell's fuel called the Spark Ada. Should have been called Spark Aids, but that's another story, because that's the sort of damage it did to motors. Now, with a diesel, 
I'm going to give you my personal experience. On one occasion, I ran my diesel low on, on fuel. And so what it does is it picks up the dregs, and I'm a, I'm a mechanic. I should have known better. This is really hurtful to me. It picks up all the dregs in the bottom of your fuel tank and it sucks them up to your fuel pump. And your fuel pump is a very, very precise mechanical item that if it gets stuff in it that shouldn't be in it, it will ruin it and it will cost you thousands. It will bankrupt some of you. I'm telling you the truth. It didn't ruin my pump, and it didn't ruin my injectors, which is another part of the story, but it cost me $3,000 to fix up. That was more than all the mechanical repairs I had ever done on all my vehicles put together. And don't get me started what it might do to your diesel particulate filter. It's a disaster waiting to happen. And you guys, you may not have the purchase of persuasion with people, with the protest movement in Wellington. But I'm telling you now, you start talking about diesel like you know something about it and what it can do to a motor if it's, it's, if it's crook stuff, they'll listen. They'll listen, like you're all listening now. Now, the last thing I want to say to you, because I've been given three to five minutes... <laughs> I'm going to give you one more if I can. This is a word of encouragement to all of you. Okay. And it's going to sound a little bit weird. One day, you're all going to die. What? <laughs> so how about you start living your life like it's to be enjoyed like it's to be lived, like it's to be promoted for yourselves, your partners, your children, your grandchildren and your friends. Start living your life like it matters. Start being courageous. Start doing what you need to do. Because if you don't, there is no doubt this is only going one way for any of you, and it's not the right way. Challenges are going to bring out the very best in you. Don't look at this time as a time of woe is me. Look at this time as a time of, yes, this is me. This is me rising to the occasion. So God bless you all. Hopefully we'll see you again soon, okay? God bless. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. Wow. Okay, now I just want to um, read my phone for a second, how antisocial of me give another big thank you to Sarah and her team from the Herb Farm for providing this space for us all tonight.
awesome. Thank you. Thank you all. And, and a massive shout out to Megan, who has been fantastic with her team of people organising this event. So thank you, Megan, for bringing this to life. And now I'm going to invite Megan up. Um, and actually, Megan, how about you come and pick the couple more raffle tickets out for me? So are there four left? Five, yes. Someone didn't come and collect theirs. You snooze, you lose. That's the... St so five. We're going to pick five final tickets out. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Wow. Um, thank you all so much for coming. This is really awesome, and I could not have done this without my team. Um, Vanessa and Anna worked on the raffle, and they organised that, and raised tonight $735. <laughs> Which is going straight to Counterspin. So that's awesome. So we'll give you that a little bit later. Yeah, hopefully it... Give it, give it to Vanessa. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. So I'm going to try and be real quick. But um, So I'm Megan. Um, I coordinate Fielding United for Freedom. Um, we uh, started off a small group and we've grown to about 210 on my email. So if you live in the fielding sort of surrounds, let me know and we'll add you on. And we do lots of, lots of fun things and stuff, but um, that's all by the by. What I wanted to talk about today is diversity. So a couple of things. I think within our, our group, we sort of look around and... We're all different, you know, it's, it amazes me. Everything that you go to, usually people are similar, but in this group, there's like heaps of cultures. There's New Zealand European, there's Maori, there's Indian, there's Malaysian, there's German, there's Yankee, Tongan, um, you know, you name it. Canadians, whatever, there's all age groups. I mean, in our fielding group, when we go to protest, <laughs> this is so cute, we've got Clara. Now, Clara's under two. She's about 18 months old, and she stands there holding her sign, and she's yelling out like a big brother and big sister, you know, freedom, freedom. She's not even two, and it's so gorgeous. And we've got people up to 90, you know, or over 90 in our group. So... You know, it's, it's just incredible. We've got people that are employed. We've got doctors, we've got lawyers, we've got nurses, we've got shop assistants, we've got street cleaners, we've got police. Believe it or not, we do have police. Um, we've got unemployed. We've got those that were employed, like me, <laughs> um, but aren't now due to whatever reasons. We've got people from so many different educational backgrounds. Um, we've got people with PhDs. We've got people with multiple degrees. We've got people that left school as soon as they could, you know, turn 15 and out that door. Um, we've got many different religions. You know, we've got Christians. I'm a Christian. Down in Wellington, we had the Hare Krishnas. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, we've got atheists. We've got New Age. We've got spiritualists. You know, um, we've got different economic backgrounds. We've got wealthy people, we've got people living on the streets. Um, we've got activists, you know, 
some who attend protests every day. Palmerston North holds protests every single day. And there are people that go every single day. We've got others who have never protested, and I never protested until now. <laughs> so I get out there, um, and I spent a lot of time in Wellington. Um, we've got every gender, so we've got male, we've got female, we've got gays, um, and we've got sort of anything in between. <laughs> so what actually brings us all together? We all agree on one thing, and that's freedom for all. Yeah, and I think that is what brings us. We agree on the freedom to choose. We agree on the freedom to grow plants in our backyard if we want to. We agree on freedom of movement, and we agree on freedom to be who we want to be. Um, in the Manawatu, we've got several different freedom movements. Some are really quite radical, and some are a little bit more conservative. We've got the VFF and we've got the Maratoi Freedom Hui, we've got Freedom Rights Coalition, we've got Kiwis United, we've got Fielding United for Freedom. You know, I, I believe, I understand there's about nine freedom groups in the Manawatu area. You know, it's just, yeah, very, very different people. So all I want to say, and I'm keeping it really short, is let's continue to be united from our diversity and fight for what we believe in and what we believe to be our fundamental rights, our freedom. So that's all I have to say, real short. I just, just want to add, and I'm not sure if they're aware that at the end we can stay. There is going to still be a bit more music and there's still some food around and people can just hang out and talk and get to know each other a bit better. But we'll carry on. Thank you. We're running out of time. Yeah. Whoever is next raffle ticket comes out has to come up and speak. Just. <laughs> Just kidding, okay. No. Um, I'm going to invite Astarte up. She's going to have a quick talk to you, three minute time limit, and then we'll get back to the cafe, eh? We'll see you at the cafe. Thank you. I'm not wasting any time. Awesome, thank you. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm going to invite my partner in crime, not my life partner, but my partner in crime, Bruce, to come up with me. He's going to talk to you as well. I want to have a quick chat with you about the community garden we've got going in Palmerston North. If you are interested, go and express your interest on the Manawatu Freedom Hui page. We will check you out. We'll find out who you are and what you want to do and how, what you can contribute. And you can come and join the River of Tilth. <laughs> we are so proud of our Tilth River that we've named a page on Facebook after it. So if you want to be part of it, like one, two, three, several people in this room, we've got lots and lots of contributors, some out there, and we all do different things, but we join together to create, well, we are going to be creating an amazing garden. And it's in Palmy, in Takaro, 
if anybody knows where that is. So it's not far from anywhere, because Palmy is not far from anywhere. Now, Bruce, please come and tell us about our pop-ups. Bruce is pop-up king. <laughs> Pop-up king, I've never been called that before. So, so I'm Bruce, so um, quickly about me. Um, I used to work uh, in science. I lost my job in December for going to a protest in Wellington. True story. <clears throat> I'll, leave, I'll leave it at that um, because I've got to be a bit careful about what I say. Um, but actually, you know, and there's a positive spin on that, I've never felt so empowered and so free. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the fortunate situation that Jacinda is still continuing to pay me um, because I'm now actually just turned 66. But it's just to be involved in the, in the, in the River of Tilth and, and all the types of things that are happening in the region, it, it's, it's extraordinarily empowering to be involved with all of that. So, you know, there is life after work, and, um, and I give, want to give that positive message. So one of the things, the uh, kind of, um, I suppose, I've, I've never protested like I'm protesting now, and to, to spend five, six days a week uh, every day having a time of an hour or so, getting out and actually being on the street and holding a placard and actually pissing some people off, but also um, really encouraging a whole lot, really encouraged by the response of people. So, so what we what we do is we kind of move around the um, corners in Palmerston North at various times. Yep, and we hold and we hold. Posters and there's a number of who's who's been out on our on our um, on our um, pop-ups here. Yeah, so quite a, quite a number of the people here have been to their pop-ups and it's just it, it's such an organic thing. So it just kind of happens, and um, and we're having having a great time doing it. So. Um, do, do come out and, and join us, um, and, and the information goes up on Monday or two, Freedom Hui, and, uh, and have, a, have, a, have a great time on the streets and, uh, and annoy some people. So thanks very much. One last bit of housekeeping. There is one raffle outstanding. Yellow 69. Have you, are you still here, Yellow 69? Otherwise, I might have to claim that prize. <laughs> anyway, now we are welcoming Hannah and Calvin back to the stage. Yay! Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody. You guys have been so patient and um, you've been all listening so intently. And I just want to thank all the speakers and everybody that made uh, tonight happen. I want to thank our team uh, who, you know, every venue is so different and we all don't know what we're going to turn up to when we get there and we just love to see each unique uh, event come into its own. So uh, thank you to everybody that's in the cafe. I hope you're all cheering now and everybody in this room, cheer now for the ones in the cafe. <laughs> um, so I've just got a couple of things that I'd like to reflect on uh, in regards to what I've been hearing tonight. The first thing is that I want to tell you about a woman in Taupo, Marta Phillip. I don't know if any of you uh, were in Taupo or you saw, um, well, I don't know, did we actually get the live stream going? We were, oh, sorry, I can't remember. Some places we can live stream, others we can't. But Marta Phillip, her husband uh, has been in jail since um, the 8th of December. 
Now, it was about the third visit that they had received from the police, uh, and this was about 7 o'clock in the morning. The police entered their bedroom and um, took uh, Marta's husband, Graham, away. Now, it's still not quite clear why he got taken away. There's been nothing in writing to Marta. Um, what, she what she was told by the police is that he um, was under suspicion of um, destruction... No, destruction of property... Yeah, so, so yeah, and they're trying to imply that it was terrorism. Um, he has um, been denied bail twice. He's basically actually not even in jail jail. It's actually, um, what's it called? Remand. remand. Sorry, he's in remand. So he hasn't been in front of a judge. Uh, and in that time, she's allowed to speak to him five minutes per week. Um, and she's not allowed to go and visit him. Um, he's 61. He's he's very intelligent. He was running his own IT business. Uh, he's got about two or three degrees, and he was speaking out against COVID and global and government tyranny. Um, pardon? Yes. So that's the other point I want to make. So he realised how ridiculous the whole mask wearing thing was. So he would go out in Taupo with um, a mask and snorkel on and a life jacket. Um, and that was before. Uh, the comedian started doing it, so he was ahead of his time. Um, and so, of course, you know, it's all about, well, just because you wear a mask doesn't mean you're actually going to save me, but the police didn't find that very funny, so that's when they turned up at his doorstep. The other one was when he went to the supermarket and there was a blockade into Taupo, and he was in Acacia Bay, and they were, they just, you know, told, uh, they basically said, um, we need to stop you, you need to tell us where you're going. He said, well, no, you don't, because I haven't done anything wrong, so you need to let me go. And, yeah, that all turned a bit um, sour. So so now he's there. He's actually been even put into high security. for. He, I think he was in there for a couple of months. They've only recently managed to get him out of there. And, that, and, and high security is for seriously hardened criminals, murderers, um, you know, all sorts of terrible crimes. He was in a cell with um, a drug dealer, I think it was, who actually... Who, yeah, was coming down off meth and actually wanted to kill him. Um, so, and then he was put into solitary confinement for, tw yeah, yeah, 23. No, he wasn't even. Get, he the, he had a broken window, so they denied him fresh air because they said he was receiving enough fresh air through the broken window. Yeah. And then he was locked down for 23 hours. What's that bit? I forgot. And they told him you can go out for your hour if you wear a mask. I said, I'm happy in my cell, thanks. Oh, yeah. So uh, there's a lot going on with this case that we're trying to uh, understand. Marta, uh, his wife, was told she was not to speak to anybody about it. So she's been living in fear this whole time. Uh, but while we were in Taupo, she actually decided to speak to us. So we're now getting that story out there. So please um, try and tell as many people as you can about it. We are going to do what we can to get answers. Her local MP, of course, has been very unhelpful. Uh, through under the bus, and yeah, so there's a lot of things going on that um, are not even making the, the mainstream news, or you know, it's being covered up. So, we're going to try and find out what's happening and get to the reason exactly why this has happened to somebody um, who's never had a criminal record, never done anything wrong, always been an upstanding citizen. So, yeah, that was very upsetting. The second thing I want to say is this uh, last chat about diversity. 
so this is another um, call out to the left because I used to be on the left side of politics when I was at university. As many of us were. Hey, I'm not the only one. Some of us were never asleep. Um, <laughs> but the thing that I want to say about the left is that they're constantly promoting diversity, 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 black, Whites, gays, trans, no, you know, whatever affiliation you are, NZ, LBGTQ, yeah, Z, they. Um, they, the, the trans community, have been discriminating against their own who have chosen not to be vaccinated. So we know trans people that have come to us, they're part of the freedom community, but they have been discriminated against by their own trans gay community. The, these people that claim to be all loving, all open, let's and, and they've been hammering in mainstream media that we all must accept them and that they are the persecuted and now they're persecuting their own. And these people have found a family within the freedom community and they don't feel discriminated against but they are totally uh, disgusted at their own community. And, you know, that's, that's what I want to say to all the leftists who have discriminated against you all, who have promoted it, that you guys basically be treated like it's 1930s Germany. And when I went into a cafe for the second time when the passports came in and I was um, met, you know, by a couple of friendly-looking girls behind the counter and they said, have you got your Vax passport? And I'm like, what? I, what do I need a vaccine passport for? This isn't 1930s Germany. And they said, well... That was 1930s Germany, this is real life. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they somehow don't understand that the mistakes of the past are happening again today and they don't like us talking about that. They don't like us saying that you guys are the new, um, well, yeah, that's what they are. Um, yeah, you're the new resistance, right? You're the new discriminated, and unfortunately, uh, those on the left who claim uh, equality and inclusion, they're all full of shit, quite frankly. Um, so let's call it for what it is. They've got no leg to stand on now because they're all hypocrites, and um, I'll quite... Uh, quite proudly stand up here and say that, uh, you know, I am a reformed leftist. Um, well, I'm a reformed believer in politics, let's put it that way, because, hey, even those on the right at this point, you know, why would you believe in them? Uh, and, I'm yeah, I'm a, I'm a reformed kind of greenie because they were all uh, for um, organics, non-genetically modified organisms, um, healthy living, and here they're all pushing the same crap. So they can all go to hell too, basically. So, uh, but before I start doing a Calvin, I'll pass over to Calvin. All right. Finally, shit and crap. As you can see, you are the majority. They are the minority. There are only a few of them. But they are well-resourced and they are well-hell-bent I can't swear, I won't. They are the bit, because nah, I'll let rip. Um, so you've got to take them down. Now, there are police around who are good. I know it's hard to believe with what we saw in Wellington and what's been happening as they stop you on the side of the road and interrogate you. But there are some good ones there, because we've heard from them when they've attended the, um, the events. All they've got to do is start doing their damn job. Someone needs to be charged. The medical council needs to be up on charges. 
the teachers councils need to be up on charges. The head of the academia, like that wanker Hendley, that pink-haired witch Susie Wiles. <laughs> I, she's obviously a crowd favourite. Baker, someone's got to put him in the oven. See what I did there? Anyway, who's the other one? Jackson. Jackson's another one. These are all the so-called experts they go to because they're so well-versed at spewing. They should be walking around with a bib they dribble so much shit. <laughs> so we're going to put the challenge out again. Prove us wrong. We're looking down the camera. The Disinformation Project, we know you monitor everything we say. So come at us. Prove your isolated virus. Show us how redacted Pfizer contract the government sold us out with. Explain why there's all these variants come after you started jabbing people. And how are they meant to protect against these variants when those particular jabs were already in creation before the variants arrived? <laughs> Nothing you say makes sense, because if you apply a little bit of common sense logic and reason, the whole thing falls apart. So while everyone's giving you absolute stick for, being, for daring to say, no, nanny, I won't do this, <laughs> you're the only ones who have maintained your composure. The only people I don't have... Um, a truck with are the people who were coerced into taking this jab. Like you've heard, people trying to keep their families together, people trying to keep their jobs just so they could get by. All the other idiots who lined up like hapless little minions, you can take all mine too. The ones that were set aside for me, seven by the way. In Australia they bought enough to jab everyone seven times. And now of course you've got monkeypox coming. That's in Australia now, I checked. It's in Australia. So once again, you'll get another Jacinda saying, it's at the border. Are you ready? Here we go again, part two. Because you remember when she talked about Delta, right? Delta was here. We've, 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 we've got a suspected case, but just in case, we'll lock you all down. Just in, you know. So as soon as she said, came back two days later and said, yes, it is a confirmed Delta case, the ESR confirmed it. I smashed in a freedom of official uh, uh, information act request. They come back with, we don't know what the hell you're talking about, basically. They didn't have anything. So she lied through her teeth. And it has to be a big lie to get through those bastards, I'll tell you now. <laughs> so Jacinda, we know you've weaponized fear. And you're using it against people. You've weaponized the police and you're coming after us. And your disinformation project, you're paying out of the Prime Minister's office. Bring it all. We won't be back down. We won't cower. And we certainly won't stand down. And police, you need to do your job. And if you lose your job because of it, the people got your back. Yeah. The military have already failed us because they've let the enemy in the gates. Funny, most of them are homegrown. They're just paid by overseas. So now, please, it's time for you to do the internal cleanup and push them back out. Then we'll take the heads of the military down because they're idiots and get the real soldiers up there to stand too. Thanks, guys. Swear again, swear. He's telling me to swear again. Um, but I want to say one thing, and that is that for 20 years we've talked about toxic masculinity. For over 20 years, men have been a hit over the head uh, with the fact that they're not allowed to be men, 
okay? And if you've all looked into it deep enough, you'll know that feminism is a psychological weapon used to divide the family. And it's used to shut down uh, the divine masculinity that is here to protect and serve the rest of the community, right? So what I want to start is a, a public conversation, a public discourse about toxic femininity. Yes. Yeah, the males agree. <laughs> and, but but it was good to see the woman clapping because I have never heard a public conversation about toxic femininity. And after 20 years of bashing men over the head, uh, it's time that we start having that conversation because we all know what toxic masculinity looks like. We've had enough of that conversation. Women need to start discussing what it looks like, and I think the best place to start is with our Prime Minister. Because what is she doing? She's gaslighting, she's been emotionally manipulating us, and she's been lying to us. And female uh, abuse is invisible, and it's emotional, and it's psychological. It's not aggressive or angry or violent. Oh, uh, yeah, you're so poor. you're so hard done by Calvin. <laughs> Everyone, get your violins out. Um, so yeah, that's what I want to start moving forward as well. That we start having those conversations because the poor men of New Zealand, uh, and and now they're saying, you know, white men, you might as well go under a rock. You're useless. We don't need you anymore. And it's just not okay. It's not okay what's going on. They're using one form of um, persecution or the victim mentality to then go and persecute another group of people. So this whole thing of putting people in groups and trying to actually judge you as an individual based on a group is just absolute rubbish. That's groupthink, that's collectivism, and that's exactly what where they want everybody. And we're over here with individualism, individual rights, self-responsibility, and this is where we need to be. And it's time women took responsibility for their shit. And our Prime Minister, you should be the first one to do it, okay? So that's what I'll end it on. You can find Counterspin, New Zealand's media revolution, at counterspinmedia.com. And now, on the InfoWars Network, at band.video.